I want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us online today. We're so grateful that you're here. And all of our congregation from Missouri City, yay God for you, and Richmond Rosenberg, yay God for you. We have gathered together to worship the Lord our God. Now, we are thankful. I'm very thankful for this service. I love the God and country service. I love it because it reminds us of who we are and where we've come from. We don't worship a country. We don't worship America. There's only one source, one object rather, of our worship, and that is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the, the, the author of our salvation and we worship him. But what we have done today is we've gathered to remember the blessings that our God has given to us. And one of those blessings is this place in which we live. And it is, it is fitting for us to stop and say, oh God, thank you for this nation. Thank you for the United States of America. This morning I want to preach a message very different than usual, and I'm asking you to, to give me grace as, as I do so. I love America. I love it. I love its freedoms, its principles, its ideals. I love the heart of the people of this nation. But our country is not without its sins and its injustices especially toward African-Americans and Native Americans. And we cannot run from our history. We have to own our history. We have to learn from it and together walk into our future. We're stronger together. And though those are there, there are so many goods that our country has done. I think of the, the freedom that this country has been a beacon of light for, for the whole world. The standing up for human rights that has been the nature of this country and the love that this country has demonstrated to people around the world. When there is a catastrophe, when there is a, a, a hurricane or, a, or a, a, a volcano, which country shows up into that place that has been damaged first? Which country brings material and brings people to, to come and help and food for people to eat? It is always this nation. I'm so grateful for it. A few weeks ago, I was in a conversation with a man who was born and raised in India, and we were having a conversation, we were just talking together, and he told me how he had been born and raised in a little town in India. And he said there were not many opportunities there. It was a hard place to live. You could barely make a living. He said, my father worked so hard. He worked so hard. And he did his very best for his family. And we did okay. No one was wealthy. We, we made it ju just fine. But he said something happened. A disaster took place in all of our region. And everyone began to say, what do we eat? How are we going to make it? How will we get past this moment? And he said a few days later, in comes all these trucks, truck after truck after truck after truck after truck, bearing food. And he said, when we began to unload the trucks, as a young boy, I saw it. There written on the side of every one of those boxes was the United States of America. And he says, as a young boy, and I saw that, and I thought, these people don't know who we are. I don't know who those people are. But he said, I will be forever grateful that you came to our rescue and that you helped us. 
And as soon as this young boy grew up to be a man, as fast as he could, he came to the United States. He is now a citizen of the United States of America. I'm proud of this nation. I'm grateful for the good that is here. We have been disciplined by God for our wrongs, but he has also amazingly blessed us for the good that this nation has done. It reminds me of what the Bible teaches in Psalm 126, verse 2 and 3, when he makes this statement. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. The context of this passage is that it was during a time that the Jewish people were living for God, loving God. They were honoring the Lord, and God poured out his favor upon that nation. God loved them and cared for them and met their needs. As they were walking with the Lord, God was walking with them. And all the nations around them saw, they, they were in awe. How much God must love these people. And I'm telling you there are nations around the world who look at us, who see us, and they say the same thing, looking in awe of how God has blessed this nation and how God has shined his favor upon us. This is the eighth and last week of a series counting today that we have been walking through entitled Refocus, looking at moral issues through God's eyes. Uh, months and months ago, as it, this was churning inside of my heart, of where should we go? How should we approach this? And asking God to show me. One of the first thing that I felt needed to be accomplished was an understanding of two worldviews that are battling each other in this nation. Why is it this nation is in such turmoil? Why is it this nation seems to be going helter-skelter in every direction? It is because of two worldviews that are fighting each other in this country. And not just in this country, in our own hearts. Why is it when we face moral issues and should be turning to the Bible, we're turning to other sources, we're struggling with what the issue is and how do we solve it? Why is it? because every single one of us for three generations have been discipled in a naturalistic world of view and it's what we hear everywhere we go. It's what movies push, it's what news media pushes, it's what we hear everywhere we go. There are two worldviews. There is called a naturalistic worldview that is Darwinian in nature. It's atheistic. It has a whole way of thinking, a whole way of responding. And it seeks to destroy the other worldview. The second worldview is a biblical worldview. It is the way God sees this world, the way he created it, the way he designed it, the way he wanted us to live. And these two worlds, worldviews are clashing against each other. And not just outside, but inside of us, far more than we realize, we are struggling inside. I wanted us to understand this. I wanted us to see it. I wanted us to be able to look deep inside our own hearts. I wanted us to see the Bible for what it is and the truth of it and that we can depend upon it 
And that's what the second message was all about. And then we've gone after five key worldviews. We've picked the five toughest ones, the five hardest ones to deal with. And for each one of these worldviews, we have sought, what does the Bible say about this? No politics, just Bible. There's nothing wrong with politics. Politics, actually, because we're a democracy, we get to have it, and all of us should be involved. The whole argument of politics is, what is the right solution to the problems we face? That's the whole issue of politics. But you've got to start with what God says is the problem. And that was my hope. You see, what ties us together in this church, we are so diverse in so many different ways, not just ethnically. We are so diverse as a church. What ties us together in the midst of our diversity is Jesus. It's Jesus. Because every single one of us in this room love Jesus. I heard you singing about Jesus. I heard you talking about how you love Jesus. And I know it is what ties our hearts together. Our mutual love for Jesus Christ and for his word and for his mission, it ties us together. And it was my hope, and it is my hope, that we will begin to look at moral issues that we face, not through the eyes of politics, but through the eyes of God's word. What does God say about this? And how can I apply this into my life? And then politically, we go about what is the right solution. I wanted us to talk about God's word and what he says. In the message that I preached of these, of these uh, I preached on the subject of abortion. I got a letter this week and I've made sure to scrub it so you couldn't possibly know who it is that sent me the letter. But I want to read to you this letter that I got. Dear Pastor Hartman, I've been a pro-choice American for many years, but your message on abortion delivered on June 12th was an eye-opening experience for me. It brought tears to my eyes. Your use of passages like Psalm 139 made me stop and think. So too did your reference to many black churches being opposed to abortion as the deliberate killing of a human life. I was deeply moved by your assertion that Judaism and consequently Christianity have been the moving force for human rights and the dignity of human life over the centuries. I am a strong supporter of human rights and my support now includes the unborn. He goes on to speak, yay. I, I don't know what political party he's a part of. I don't want him to change it. I just want him to take what the Bible teaches and incorporate that. Now let's find the answers for what God's word says. We've had these last two weeks the opportunity to sift through the ruling by the Supreme Court concerning Roe v. Wade and the, the elimination of the verdict that was given 49 years ago about Roe v. Wade. 
On Mother's Day, I made a statement to you because the rumor was out and I said to you in all three services, I thank God if this is truly the case that it will be overturned. I thank God that it will be. I have prayed for this. I have preached for this. I have voted for this. I have wanted this to be overturned. But I, as I listen to news and read articles, I think to myself, good grief, do we not even understand what's happened? This ruling by the Supreme Court did not outlaw abortion. It simply said that the original ruling was not based upon constitutional criteria. Well, constitutional attorneys have been saying that, both Democrat and Republican, for decades. They have laughed out loud at the the ruling that was given and the explanation of it as though somehow from the Constitution, but there is no validity to the Constitution for the ruling of Roe v. Wade, and they have said it openly. Now, what happens is, is that each state now decides in that state what they will do. And what the, what the Supreme Court simply said is, this is a legislative issue, it is not a constitutional issue. That's all it said. And it's like the world is coming to an end. Because people are being told stuff that are not actually true about it. And here's also what I wanna say. The work has just begun, it's not ended. When I preached that message a few weeks ago on on abortion, I made the statement that most of the abortions, not all of them, but the vast majority happen in the decade of the 20s of these women who choose abortion. It's in their 20s. It's a hard decade. The truth is every decade probably is, but it's a hard decade. It's where you're disconnecting from your birth family and becoming on your own. You're getting your formal education. It's not easy to do that. You're trying to find your career path. That's not an easy thing to do. You're trying to find maybe the love of your life. It's not an easy thing to do. You are are trying to tackle all kinds of things. And in the midst of that, an unwanted pregnancy emerges. And now what do I do with this? And how does it impact my life? I ask the question, where's the man? Most of the time the men have hightailed it out of town and not interested at all. I think to myself about that story of how the uh, woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus in the book of John and, and the Pharisees brought that woman and said, this is a woman, she's been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, tell us that she's supposed to be stoned to death. My question is, where's the man? If it's in the very act, where's the man? Oh no, he's off scot-free. And this is what many women face in their 20s when suddenly they find themselves in an unwanted pregnancy. And I'm saying to you, this is the moment that women need us, need Sugar Creek Baptist Church. We need to step up at this moment. Those who are going to be impacted the most are going to be impoverished women, but all women are going to be affected. But those who are impoverished, they need us. 
They need our help. We, we need to be involved in crisis pregnancy centers all the more, even more than we are today, even more. And we need to be there for them. We don't need to be just against something. We need to be for something. We need to step up as a church. I read a great article. I've, I put it in your QR code. I hope you'll read it by Abby McCloskey. I don't know who she is, but I, she wrote a great article. I'm not endorsing her. I don't know who she is, but I want you to read her article because it's profound about the responsibility now of churches to step up and impact those who need to be helped. This is what needs to happen. Now, with that said, I want to tackle the last issue in all of the series, and it's the issue of religious freedom and where it's headed. Religious freedom is viewed by both of these worldviews very, very differently. The biblical worldview, Christian worldview, holds that human rights are provided by God, not by government. This is how a biblical worldview looks at human rights. In the Declaration of Independence, notice how Thomas Jefferson put it. Now, Thomas Jefferson was not a Christ follower. He believed in, a, in God. He did believe in God, and he did have admiration of Jesus. And in fact, in every room of his home, he had a painting of, some, of one of the stories of Jesus. I've been in his house. It is amazing to see these pictures, but it doesn't make him a Christ follower just to have pictures in your house. But notice how he phrased the Declaration of Independence. All mankind, all men are created equal and are endowed by their who? Their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See the word inalienable? The word inalienable means something that cannot be taken away by government because it is given by God. That's what the definition of the word is. You see, it was a biblical worldview that was behind even the wording of this Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights that James Madison penned. When he talked about freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom of the press and of assembly and the ability to disagree with our government without the government retaliating against us, we were given the freedom to vote, to carry arms, to own property, uh, freedoms for a fair trial, and many others. And these freedoms, those originators, those fathers, our forefathers said these came from God not from government. So that government can't take them away. The Declaration of Independence, the American Constitution, created a firestorm of democracy that swept across Europe and caused so many outbreaks of, of civil rights in Europe. Just one country after another it was like a firestorm. And then across the whole world, democracies began to spring up and they began to spring up because of this country and the courage 
and the declarations of it. But the naturalistic worldview holds that human rights are provided by government and can be given or removed by the will of that government. It does so because this Darwinian worldview, this atheistic worldview, refuses to acknowledge the presence of God. And only man has the power, and whoever is in power by man can give and take away rights. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. is uh, a guy who, a, a name that I first heard, I remember hearing it, in middle school. He was as highly considered as one of the leaders in our past, in our country. He was on the Supreme Court, nominated to the Supreme Court by Teddy Roosevelt in 1902. And about a year and a half later, Teddy Roosevelt wished he never had done it. Oliver Wendell Holmes was an outspoken proponent of the naturalistic worldview and an outspoken atheist. And he believed that the government is the sole holder of rights and can take rights away and can give rights. And the government is in essence God. He was a brilliant man, and he added so many good things to, to the case of law and the understanding of law in our country, but he wanted to change the whole notion of inalienable to governmental given rights, and thank God he was not able. His most famous naturalistic Darwinian worldview statement was this, I believe there is no innate intrinsic differences among a human being, a baboon, or a grain of sand. What does that mean? It means that a human being that you and I are no more valuable than a grain of sand. How could someone say that? Because the Darwinian view is everything that exists is an accident and nothing has value in and of itself. The only value a human being has is what a human being dreams up on their own. That is the Darwinian world view. So which world do you want to live in? Every generation gets to choose the direction of the future of its country. After the adoption of the new constitution, a person walked up to Benjamin Franklin and said to him, well, doctor, what do we have? A monarchy or a republic? And immediately Franklin said, we have a republic if we can keep it. And that's the challenge for every generation. Will we keep this republic? Will we keep this democracy? Will we keep this country? Will we keep this biblical worldview? Or will we give up our power, our rights that God has given to us? From the, tomb, from the womb to the tomb, God has given us rights, not the government. But we must fight to keep our freedom of religion or we'll lose it. Now, I want to use this verse of Scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now the context of the verse is this. It is about our spiritual life. All of us have been taken into slavery by our sin. But Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose again from the grave to free us from our sin. And if we turn our heart to Christ, he will save us, forgive us, and cleanse us. And he says, once we have been freed from our sin, stand firm and don't go back into slavery. That is what this verse is saying. But I'm gonna ask you to work with me for just a moment in the application of it. I'm gonna change the application in citizenship. There are three things this verse says, and I think it applies, can apply to the marching orders that we have as citizens. First, freedom comes from Christ, not the government. We have inalienable rights. Second of all, freedom does not come free. It requires a fight to keep. You have to stand up for human rights and for your freedoms and oppose those who want to take them away. You cannot sit back and watch other people. You cannot play it safe. You gotta be willing to stand up for what is right. Third, if we refuse to stand up for our freedoms, the powers that be will enslave us. So here is what I'm asking. I'm asking that we live a Christ-centered life that we become aware of the history of our nation, that we become involved, that we become involved. Politics is not a dirty word, it's a good word. You and I can be involved in our country and we can stand for it and we can help decide what the solutions of the problems are. Take advantage of this opportunity. Get registered to vote. And we at Sugar Creek will register new voters every single year. Those who are not registered will have registration on all of our campuses at least once every year. We want you to be registered to vote. We're not gonna ask you to go to, to register for one, from one political party or another. We're not interested in doing that. We just want you to be registered and we want you to vote. Share the truths of God's word with others and vote and vote and vote and vote and vote. Where will our greatest challenges to our religious freedoms come from? I watched and every one of the issues that this year's Supreme Court ruled on, they ruled in favor of religious rights. And I thank God for these courageous people and I am grateful for them. But I'm not going to step back and just hope that every Supreme Court justice goes that direction. Do you remember the 25 black pastors that I mentioned to you a few, three weeks ago and I gave you in your QR code their statement on moral issues? I've given it to you again because the last moral issue they deal with is religious freedom. And you need to read what they say, the whole section. It's too long to quote from them, but I want to quote this paragraph. November 1, 2016, they wrote, a well-financed war is now being waged by the gay and lesbian community in the United States and abroad on the faith of our ancestors. 
Furthermore, there are some who seek to criminalize our biblical texts as hate speech. Like Martin Luther King Jr., we do not invite conflict. However, in cases where questions of conscience and religious freedom are at stake, we are prepared for the sake of the gospel to suffer the consequences of standing for our convictions. Yea, God for these men. Now, these men were prophets. They were prophets. Why do I say that? Because their statement, November 1st, 2016, but about 18 months later, on June the 15th, 2018, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that LGBT rights supersede religious rights. The court decided that protecting LGBT rights, even in religious schools, is more important than the right of religious freedom. And I've given you the documentation in your QR code. I hope you'll go and read it. Then this year, in Finland, a politician, and I'll mispronounce her name, bless her heart, I can't pronounce anybody's name right. Her name is, is Pavi Maria Ross Ammon. I'm sorry, Maria. Was the leader of the Christian Democratic Party in Finland. She had been a member of Congress for many years. She was the Minister of the Interior for Finland from 2011 and 20 to 2015. She is also a deeply devoted follower of Jesus Christ. She is also a pastor's wife of a Lutheran pastor who teaches the Bible. And she made public comments when she was asked questions. What do you believe that is true about uh, the, uh, the gay and le lesbian lifestyle? And she said, I'll quote the Bible, and here is what God's word says, and I believe the Bible front and back. And then when a pamphlet was being created, she was asked to co-author the pamphlet in which they dealt with different issues, moral issues, and one of those was this issue of gay and lesbian lifestyle. And she took per passages of scripture just like Pastor Xavier did for us a few weeks ago. And she took those passages of Scripture, she put them in that pamphlet, and then she was arrested for hate speech in Finland. A member of the government, she was arrested for, for hate speech, and her trial happened earlier this year. There were Christian groups around the world who, who sent letters in her favor. Five United States senators sent letters of support. I'm wondering where the other 45 senators were. She was found not guilty in court on March the 30th, 2022, but now the, the, the government of Finland has appealed the decision in hopes they can get a reversal. And if they can, and they can get the maximum, she'll spend two years in prison for her stand that is only biblical in the country of Finland. And here's what she said, if I gotta go to prison for two years, I'll go to prison for two years, but I will never deny the word of God. And yea, God for this woman. Now here's what I'm saying to you. It's coming here. It's coming here. I've said that, I don't know how many years I've said that, and I usually get at least one or more emails that tells me that I'm exaggerating or I don't know what I'm talking about or all that kind of stuff. Well, let me just tell you, don't send one this year. Don't send one this year. 
because on June the 14th, 2022, a state of New York court ruled that an Orthodox Jewish university in New York City does not have the religious rights to keep a pro-LGBT club from being a part of that university, even though the LGBT lifestyle is a violation of their religious beliefs. And I've given you the website to go to, and it's here. It's going to be appealed. I hope it's overturned, but it isn't going to be the last. I promise you. Remember what Pastor Xavier taught us. He said to us, even when we are facing individuals that do not agree with us, do not agree on our moral issues, do not agree with our our way of life, we are to be loving and kind. We are to be caring We are to have open arms. We are to be receptive of these individuals in love and respect. When we say to love and lead all people, we mean the word all, and we open our doors to any LGBTQ person that wants to come and worship with us. We invite every person to come to this place and join us in worship in our worship services. And we will teach the word of God and we will never compromise it. But we will also teach the love of God in how we treat each other and how we treat others. And that will be who we are. You think about Jesus Christ. He never compromised his word. He is the word. But this Jesus that taught the word with clarity was called the friend of sinners. And the reason he was is because he loved them. If you remember, the only people that opposed Jesus were not sinners. It was the religious leaders I'll tell you something. They were the only ones that came after Jesus. And the rest of the people said, tell us, help us to understand who God is. Speak to our hearts. This morning, I want to end all of this, bring all of this together with two verses of Scripture that is my heart's desire. I'm asking God, please, God, do this in us. So change our heart, change our direction, change how we think by your word. In Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There are millions and millions and millions of people who love the Lord in this country. We got to shed the naturalistic worldview that we have been discipled in. And we've got to go back to the word of God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And Psalm 85, verse six and seven, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people might rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy rescue. And that is our heart's desire today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we say, oh God, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. God, move in our hearts. Bless this country and you will as we make you the Lord of our hearts. Father, I pray that we do just exactly like the video we saw before this message 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. I will rescue them. Oh God, do it with us. Oh God, do it with us. We pray. Move in hearts today of those who are online who don't know Jesus. May this be the day of salvation in their heart. Who are on any of our campuses who do not know Jesus, that this would be the moment of salvation in their heart. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.